Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Daniel 12, that's 624. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand towards heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times and half a time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will be the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of your days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that you speak to us through it. And today, Lord, as we uh, finish up in Daniel, we do pray that uh, your, our hearts will be convicted, that this, uh, this time won't be a time wasted, but a time where we can uh, sit before your word and receive it, a, a time where we can um, be inspired by it and empowered by it, and, and a time for us to really uh, think through and consider how do we live our lives as Christians in this world? Uh, how do we live in a world that is often opposed to Christianity? How do we live as Christians uh, that know you as our big and powerful God? And we pray that you'll show us this today, Lord, as we get into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, a quick question to start us off. Um, if you had a time machine, how would you use it? Uh, if I gave you two options, the first option would, you only can choose one of these options. Go back in time and, and change something so then today won't be the same. Or would you go into the future so you could see the future and then you could make changes before you get to the future, okay? So would you go in the past or would you go to the future? Who would go to the past? Okay, okay. Who would go to the future? I think there are more people that would go to the, I think personally I would go to the future. I think going to the past, I wouldn't be here today if I changed the past, right? It would be a whole different present, and that scares me. Uh, so I'd rather know that I can control the future. And, and it's interesting because most of the room did, did choose the future, and, and I think that... That, that says something about us and, and what, uh, we, we, uh, 
we think about and, how, and how our, what our hearts are drawn towards. Uh, there's an American author, his name's James Glick. He's a science writer. He's written books on things like the chaos theory. Like that chaos theory is like the butterfly, butterfly effect, how things, you make a decision and it, it, it impacts uh, another decision somewhere else. Uh, he was interviewed in an article that I read and he was asked, uh, why are we so obsessed with time travel narratives? You know, the stories and movies and books. And this is what he said uh, in reply. He said, because we're obsessed with time, because time is what we care about. Time rules our lives. Time creates possibilities for us and also terminates possibilities for us. Time is a harsh mistress. We struggle with it every day of our lives and more and more now than ever in the past. So it's natural for us to turn to these stories to, to look for some insight or just to get some relief from a difficult reality. I think that's so true, isn't it? We, we, time is a harsh, harsh mistress. We do struggle with it. We want more of it all the time. Uh, you know, when you ask someone about uh, what kind of superpower they want, they want to freeze time, they want to control time, they want to time travel so we can have more time in this life. Why? Uh, maybe it's because we don't want to miss out on the best life we can have. We don't want to miss out on our ambitions, our future career or relationship goals, uh, or achieving a certain status, or, or ticking off those bucket list items. We, why don't we have powers like Doctor Strange? Why don't we have a time machine? Instead, what do we do? What do we do instead when we know we can't control time? We try our best to buy time, don't we? We try to uh, shape and control our future by throwing everything we've got into today. We want that future security, so we'll hustle really hard. We'll throw ourselves into our study because we want to secure that career. We want to secure that status. We want to know that uh, we won't have to worry about being unemployed one day. We'll work long hours in our jobs because we know that promotion will come if I work really hard and it'll look good on the resume. It'll set us up for life. We want to invest and, and hoard our money today because we want to know that in the future we, don't have to, we won't have to worry about it. If we just make the right decisions in the present, then our future will be secure. We'll get fit, we'll look pretty, we'll download the apps because we want security in our relationships, we want security in our wealth, we want security, whatever it is. Can you see yourselves doing that? Can you see? I can see myself doing that. And then when the things like the pandemic hits, it throws us all out of whack, doesn't it? Borders close, sickness comes, it, job opportunities shrink, fear increases. We get anxious, we get depressed, we feel shackled down, time stands still, our career goals get put on hold, and we cry, how much longer? We're seeing it in Queensland right now, aren't we? Everyone wants to know, when will the borders open again? We want the Premier to make a move. Give us a plan. What's happening in the future so I can plan my life? We feel insecure not knowing what's going to happen. I want control of my future. And all this unknown about our future, all these fears, this lack of control, when it comes to the time we have the best years of our lives, not only does it cause anxiety, but let's be real, it makes us all feel a little insecure, doesn't it? We feel insecure because we constantly feel a lack of time. We feel like we're not making the most of our short lives. There's that dreaded FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out that settles in. Wasted time, wow, I hate wasting time. It's always there in the back of my mind. We want to make the best possible decision to get the best possible outcome. Isn't that why we're so obsessed with knowing the future? Isn't that why we want to go read the tarot cards or look at the stars and, and do that stuff? why the dystopian movies and the science fiction films shows, you know, all those shows get all the views. We want to know what the future is going to look like. We want to speculate. 
But what if I told you you can feel secure about your future? And what if I could tell you that you can feel secure about your future and hence feel peace in the present? What if Christianity gave you confidence about what is to come? And what if the God of the Bible has given us the keys to eternity? Would you still feel anxious about your future? Would you still feel helpless or feel fear in the hands of time, that harsh mistress? Here's the thing. With the closing chapters of Daniel, it will teach us today that even when things feel out of control, even when things go very bad, it's all in line with God's good plan. And we can trust that. We're going to take a sweeping look over the last three chapters. We didn't get to read chapter 10 and 11, but I'll make references to it as we go through uh, today, and I'll have some verses on the screen for us. Um, But if you remember, if you've been with us for the book of Daniel, you remember that chapters 1 to 6 of Daniel is very narrative-style writing. It's telling us the story of what happened to Daniel, his life living in Babylon. There are stories like Daniel in the Den of Lions that many of us have heard before, Uh, his friends that go into the fiery furnace, Uh, stories like that that happened in the first six chapters from, from chapter chapter 7 to 12, the last three weeks, what we've been looking at, uh, the genre changes from narrative to now apocalyptic literature. And, and that means that we're looking at visions and, and prophecy and future things that are going to happen. Uh, these visions are given in very supernatural ways to Daniel. Visions of beasts and oppression, having angels show up on the scene to give him interpretations. The language is prophetic. What will happen in the future for Daniel and for the people of God? But it's very symbolic, isn't it, as well? We looked at numbers and, and what these um, biblical numbers could possibly mean, uh, and, and we tried to interpret that together in these last few weeks. Now, chapters 10 and 12, it covers the third vision. There are three visions, and we're looking at the third one, the final one that's given to Daniel. It's spread across three chapters. We only had time to read one chapter today. Now, Daniel's being told uh, what the future holds for, his, uh, for God's people. What is he told? He, firstly, he's told there's going to be a great tribulation. There's going to be a great war and hardship and persecution and oppression. Where did I get that from? I've got it on the screen. Chapter 10, verse 1. Let me read it to you. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Right, so this is, vision is happening during the time of the Persian Empire. Remember, there's a Babylonian Empire, and then the Persian Empire happened in history. It's happening to Daniel. He's living during the time of the Persians. Uh, King Cyrus, at this point, has ordered, has made the order, the edict, that Israelites can go back to their hometown. They can go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. You can read about this in the book of Ezra in your Bibles as well. In the first few chapters, it talks about how Cyrus gave the order. Now, that's happening at the same time Daniel's getting this vision. And he's getting this vision that this great tribulation will come, this great war. It made him so depressed. He didn't want to eat or drink, it says. He goes on on that Daniel diet again, right? No meat, no wine. He didn't want to even do his regular skincare routine, no lotions, no essential oils. How would you feel? Not moisturizing or exfoliating for three weeks? In a place like the Middle East, you'd be feel, you'd feel so dry, right? I imagine dry skin, chapped lips, this poor guy. looks miserable, right? But that's what grief looks like. He's, he's struggling. He doesn't want to do his skincare routine. He's, things are bad. He doesn't want to shave. You can imagine that he looks really scraggly at this moment. But then after these weeks, he stood by the river, and, uh, and a man appeared before him. And this is in verse 6. A man dressed in linen, a belt of gold appeared. Verse 6. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. 
Now, this type of description, if you read anything like this, you know this isn't just some man. It's, it's a picture of an angelic figure, isn't it? An angel. An angel appeared. Um, <laughs> I, just remi- I was reminded of Pokemon. Uh, Pokemon appears. Um, the, this glorious picture of, of a man that reflects God's glory in their appearance, his topaz and lightning and flaming torches. This description is only one of an angel. Uh, if you go to Revelation chapter 1 in your, in your own time, you can read about Jesus' description. When John sees Jesus, uh, Jesus looks like this. There's this picture of glory and beauty in the supernatural. Now, this was part of his vision. There were uh, others with him at the time at this river, but none, no one else could see the angel, only Daniel. He's standing and this figure stands in front of him. Uh, everyone else feels the terror of, of this presence and they go and hide. But Daniel's standing there. He's, he's like paralyzed. And the angel says in verse 12, He's talking to him. He says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. Now remember, Daniel is, is a man of prayer. He keeps praying a lot throughout the whole of the book. We keep hearing that. Verse 13, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns the time yet to come. Now, we don't talk about this enough because it doesn't always come up in the Bible. It doesn't come up heaps, but we've got to realize there's a a spiritual battle happening in a spiritual realm that's happening right now. Angels and demons, they do exist. I, I do believe that, not only because the Bible speaks about it, but because of my own experience too, an experience of those around me. There's a, there's a spiritual realm around us. Uh, the, the invisible realm. And, and our Western minds, we choose not to entertain the thought. Right? Satan, demons, that, that stuff is fairy tales. Right? It, 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 it's, a, it's a TV show called Lucifer. You know, it's, it's all fake. It's made up. But what if it were true? You see, one of the, those, those great quotes is, you know, the, the greatest trick, uh, a quote by, it was in a movie, but the, you know, the quote that the, the greatest trick that the, that the deva, devil Thank you. Um, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was making people believe that he doesn't exist. And isn't that true in the Western mind, that, that we, all, um, we all don't want to believe that Satan exists? And isn't that the greatest lie that we're told, that Satan wants us to believe that he doesn't exist? I do believe in the Western world, uh, um, we don't see it enough. Uh, Satan and demonic forces, um, they don't need to try hard enough. They don't need to try very hard uh, because we in the West, we already worship materialism, we worship consumerism, we worship our wealth so easily. But in, in, in other parts of the world, you know, we see the, the physical and the spiritual overlap a lot more. You know, I've talked to friends in other cultures who tell me about the things that they've seen, or the experiences that they've had where the, the spiritual becomes very visible in many ways. I've talked to those even uh, in Australia, people here who have, who have dealt and, and, and dabbled with, with the tarot cards and the psychics and the clairvoyance. And I have no doubt that there's an invitation there for evil spirits to come into our lives. And you see, their primary job really is to lead people away from God. That's what they're, they're not there to just to scare us and to be in movies and all that sort of stuff. No, it's actually to lead us away from worshipping God. Doubt, giving us doubt, the worship of lesser things, even luring us into temptation. I don't think we can have a real visual of what angels and demons look like besides what the Bible shows us. You know, the, someone that looks like a body of topaz and flaming torches and all that. You know, 
in movies, demons have always got, you know, red horns and, and wings and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, their job is really just to lead us away from God. And, and we think of, uh, and, and uh, we need to understand that, that this is at play in the world around us. And, and I get that this is hard to fathom for our Western evidence-based minds. But I do uh, want us to wonder about this, to think about this. For generations and for, for other cultures, this has been so accepted for years. Uh, there's a spiritual realm that exists. There, there's stories of, of, of paranormal activity and, and why are we so scared of them? Uh, for me, simply, you know, I've had experiences myself and I can share with you later sometime if you want over lunch, but uh, this is why I believe in the spiritual realm because it's there in the Bible and I've seen it in life. And, and so we hear from this angel, right, that there's another angel, the chief angel, Michael, who's helped him. And there's a reference to the prince of the uh, Persian kingdom, the prince of the Persian kingdom. He's a demonic spirit working amongst the Persian empire that opposes God's angels. Like, this, is, this sounds crazy, right? It's all part of this vision. Um, but without speculating too much, what we can possibly conclude is that there are spiritual powers at work, both good and bad, behind various human institutions in the world, as we see explained here in chapter 10. So that's what Daniel does here in chapter. He introduces us to the spiritual realm, the, the unseen. There will be a great tribulation, a great war, it's happening. Not gonna, it's not going to happen only in the physical world, but in the spiritual realm as well. That's what we need to get out of these few verses in chapter 10. But Daniel, he does see a great war. He does see the vision of a great war, uh, a tribulation that people will face. It's outlined in chapter 11. So we're going to go there now. Uh, you can read all chapter 11 in your own time. Uh, but you remember in chapter 7 and 8, we heard about the vision of kingdoms that will rise up after Babylon, Persia, Greece, they were to come after Babylon. Uh, chapter 11, it, it talks about a prophecy to, a prophecy to Daniel uh, that kings will come after and the great wars will happen during this time. Uh, for, I'll just read a few verses, Daniel 11:3. Then a mighty king will arise who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have power uh, he, exercise, he uh, exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Uh, if you remember what happens after Persia is the Greek Empire gets, uh, arises, right? And the Greek Empire is led by who? Alexander the Great, the Great Empire. He's someone with great power. He'll do as he pleases. What happens after he's defeated, though, after he dies? At the ripe age of 30 or, or so, his kingdom is divided into four amongst his four generals, the four winds of heaven. It's really interesting. This vision is playing. This vision is shown to Daniel, and this is actually what happens in history. For our history, we see it. Alexander rises up. The Greek Empire comes, and it's then split into four, four different kingdoms. And if you keep reading through chapter eleven, it talks about how there'll be a great devastation upon the Jews, upon the people. Um, different wars happening. He'll uh, this this great king will come. He'll desecrate the temple. He'll kill lots of people, women and children included. Uh, if you look into history again, we got a guy called Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a, a king over Greece who did these very things. He desecrated the temple and he killed lots of people, lots of, uh, of God's people. And so much of that chapter 11 there was fulfilled in the history of the Greek empire. Really interesting stuff. You can look into that. That's what angel, the angel's telling Daniel in this vision. There will be a great tribulation. It's his future. We, it, it's going to look bleak. God's people are going to suffer. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be persecution. Yes, sure, you'll be able to return to, to the homeland, the mothership, but it won't be an easy road. There'll be kingdoms that will rise up in the future that won't be on your side. And so we come to chapter 12. And as Mike read for us in verse 1, it says this, At the time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There'll be a time of distress such as not has happened from the beginning of nations until then. 
Great tribulation will come upon God's people. There'll be war both in the physical and the spiritual. And while this happened to, uh, in history to the Jewish people, it didn't and hasn't stopped. After Jesus came into the picture, so this was happening, like Daniel was given this vision around 500 BC. After that, the, Gr- the Greek Empire came, the Roman Empire came. Uh, we saw Christians persecuted under the Emperor Nero. They were, Christians were used as human tortures at garden parties, as a spectacle. They were persecuted for their faith. Uh, it's like watching the fireworks at Riverfire. Instead, there are people burning on stakes, right? Christians thrown into the, line, to the lines in gladiator arenas for entertainment. That's a type of uh, suffering that they went through under the Roman Empire. The great siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD under the Roman Empire, again, uh, where they set the city alight, the temple was destroyed, never again to be rebuilt. It still lays in, ru- it lays in ruins today. If you go uh, see it, there's nothing left. But even today in 2021, if you go and see the stats, there are about 309 million Christians that are in countries of high-level persecution, of discrimination. In the last year alone, we saw that their stats are over 4,000 were killed for their faith. Daniel's descendants, they lived out this future, but it's also a present reality for God's people in today's world as well. We live in a hostile world. And what, and what God is telling Daniel is, is, is through this angel is it'll get hard. It'll get even harder before it gets better. It'll get worse before it gets better. That's what the angel's trying to tell Daniel. Great distress will come. And that scares me. As we raise children in this country, in this, in this world, they'll have to stand up for Jesus in a world that is very opposed against Jesus, where their views on sexuality and purity and pro-life will stand against cultural values. I mean, that's already happening, isn't it, for many of us today? We're living in the times of great distress as God's people. We don't know what the future holds. We try to do everything we can to prevent hardships, to not go through distress, to control our time and our future. We, we put all this padding around our lives so we don't have to go through hardship. But if you're a Christian, and if you stand up for your faith, if you stand firm for your faith, you've got to expect that living in this world will not be easy. That there will be oppression against you. Sure, you can work and you can make lots of money, you can raise your family, but as a Christian, as you do those things, as you live out your faith to God, as you stand up for what you believe and the God that you stand for, you've got to expect it's not going to be a smooth journey. Loving God and loving others will be hard in a world that tells you not to love God, in a world where you're tempted not to love others and just love yourself. Being a Christian will come with oppression, whether it's spiritual oppression or physical in this world. You go to the New Testament and Jesus says it in verse uh, 33 of chapter 16. I've told you these things. He's praying for his disciples. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus told his disciples it won't be easy being a Christian in this world. He doesn't try to downplay it. In this world you will have trouble, period. We can't expect it to be pain-free, without sorrow, without anxiety, without temptation. And we'll feel consistently being pulled in different directions. We should expect that in a hostile world, one of great distress. Yet both Daniel chapter 12 and Jesus in those words in John 16 gives us hope, doesn't it? A hope that we can hold on to. There's a resurrection hope we can cling to. Deliverance will come. There'll be a day when even the archangel Michael will arise and go to battle. After, at the, let's go back to chapter 12 of Daniel. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, 
will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will wake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If you don't know your Old Testament very well, this is actually one of the most clearest verses in the Old Testament about a bodily resurrection that's to come. It's right here in chapter 12. Your, your resurrection will either lead to everlasting life or others to everlasting contempt and death. We will face a resurrection after this life. We've got we to know that as Christians. There is an afterlife. One that will either be heaven or in the other is going to be hell. What that means is one is going to be in the presence of the goodness of God, his love, his joy, and his peace. The other will be in the presence of his wrath his, and, and feeling the shame and contempt. For Daniel and God's people who read this, what does this mean? It means while there'll be suffering, while you might lose loved ones under the oppression and rule of tyrant kings, while you might feel displaced in the world and feel like all hope is lost and you'd rather not be a follower of God at times in a world that's opposed to it, God comforts us with this future deliverance. There will be a resurrection that will go into eternity. You will be vindicated. The suffering will come to an end. The hardships you face will not be forever. The wicked will be punished. Cling to this hope. See, what we know as Christians in this, world that, in this world is that this world isn't all that there is. This world is temporary. It is fading. It is just a shadow of the world to come. And while some of us might make it to old age, 90, 100 years, whatever, that's actually really just a moment, isn't it? A moment in the scheme of eternity. Yet how do we live? How do you live each day? We live like every minute in this world is all that we have and we won't get that back. We don't want to waste time. We want to hustle. We can rest when we die. I've heard so many of you say that. I've, I've said that myself. We had that mentality. We can, we, I'll sleep when we die. <laughs> but why? Is it because we don't know how much longer we have? Is it because we feel the FOMO of the world and the opportunities that shrink the older and more fragile we get? Yeah, we want more of life, adventure, opportunity, wealth, comfort. We all dread that moment, don't we? The last day of our holidays, you know that moment? You're like, oh, I've got to go back to work tomorrow. That sucks. I really wish my holidays could go longer. I have to go back to uni. I've got to study again. Oh, I'm so over this. I want four months. I want five months of holidays. Why do I get four? Four's not enough. Don't you feel that? You feel that dread, don't you? The last day of holidays? We want more time. And we want to know that there's, there's something coming for us. There's, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And so we, we work so hard. We hustle. We throw all, all our energy into now because we want to secure our futures. But look here, God is so clearly telling us this life isn't all that there is. There's more. There'll be an end to this suffering and sorrow. And for the believer, that life in this world is the, is the closest to hell you'll ever get. Look forward to the everlasting life that God promises us in Him. Imagine being a, a, an Israelite living in, under the empire of the Persians or the Babylonians. That, is gonna be, that, that would feel like hell. But, you know, for us as a Christian, it's the hope we have in Jesus, isn't it? We can look forward. His resurrection means we too, through faith in him, can share in his resurrection promises. We can have that everlasting life. John 16, 33, that we just read, he has overcome the world. The world, sin, has no rule or reign over our lives. We have a greater king. His name is Jesus. He goes before us. He dies to slay the kings and gods of this world. Sin and death are defeated. His resurrection means they have no power over us. 
we can put our faith in Jesus and know there's everlasting life to be had in his presence. And again, in the New Testament, in John chapter 5, Jesus talks about this. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Friends, we get to live. We get to have everlasting life. Will you hear his voice? Will you respond to his voice? Will you follow his voice to everlasting life? We've been given the keys to, to really immortality in many ways, but one that far exceeds the fairy tales and the time travel stories. It's eternal life in the presence of Jesus. And while Daniel's having this vision, hearing about the future resurrection to come, there are some other heavenly angelic beings here, right, in chapter 12. They're there standing on the banks of this river, and they ask this question, when will this happen? And the answer is, it's it's tricky. I mean, the angel replies, uh, it's going to be in a time and times and half a time, uh, which we can translate to to one year and two years and half a year, so 3.5 years. Now, the, now, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, you should be going, well, that's interesting, because last week we saw how seven is a number in the Bible that really shows that uh, idea of completeness of time. And so if it's going to take three and a half years, that's sort of half of seven, which sort of symbolizes this halfway mark at some point, not yet the end, but at some point the resurrection will happen. Doesn't that happen with Jesus when he first comes to the world? He dies and he's resurrected and he starts ushering in the resurrection. So it's sort of this halfway mark in, the, in the, the timeline of God's timeline, at least. Daniel, he doesn't get it. So he asks, what is this going to be? What's going to be the outcome of these things in this chapter? He says that. What's going to be the outcome? He's felt sick in the stomach. He's with this vision. He wants to know the future. Like all of us, we want to know what happens. Again, later down in this passage, in verse 11, the angel says, 1,290 days, and there'll be an end at 1,335 days. And there's all these numbers, and you see, you know, people are trying to do the math to try and understand what do these numbers calculate to, how does it go with the number seven, and you can, you can look into this. And there's a lot of stuff out there. But let's be honest, at the end of it, we can, you, can, you, can, you might want to calculate the, the end of times, how long it's going to take before Jesus returns, when the church is going to reign, and all that sort of stuff. But honestly, the reality is, we're not meant to know. We can't know. Only God does. He, only know, he knows when Jesus will return. He's the one who's going to, uh, he's, he's got it all planned out. It's all going according to his plan, not ours. You know, when Daniel is, is asking these questions, that, you know what the angel says to him in chapter 12? He says, go your way, Daniel. Leave it. Drop it. You won't know. Go your way. Roll up the words in the scroll and seal them to the end of time. Daniel's not meant to know. Why should we? We want to have control of the future. If we know the end time is going to come in 1,335, 1,000, whatever, all these numbers, we're going to live with this sort of anxiety, aren't we? We're going to live, oh, we've got to do all this stuff. But what if we're not meant to know so we can trust God? We don't know when the future realities of Jesus' return and when this world will end, when the new heavens and the new earth will begin. But what do we know? We do know the world's broken. We do know there's suffering that we all have to face in this broken world. We do know that there's sorrow, there's anxiety, and there's heartache and pain. We've all felt that. Some of us, we choose to ignore it. Some of us choose to numb ourselves to it. Some of us choose to hustle and throw ourselves into our work to ease the difficult realities that we have to face. James Glick, the author I mentioned earlier, 
He says, we want control of time because we're concerned with our mortality. The reality is we want to elude death. And so that's why our culture is so obsessed with the time travel narrative. You see, while, while we know the world is full of pain and brokenness, we also know as God's people there's something else to come. After looking at 12 chapters of Daniel, I'm hoping you guys have picked up this pattern throughout Daniel. Whether it's Daniel or whether it's the people of God, there'll be seasons, there'll be years of where there'll be hardship, where we'll be, we'll, live, we'll be living in Babylon under a tyrant king. That will be our narrative. It will be our life. We'll live in a world that opposes God. And we'll be asking the same questions. How long must I go through this pain? This pain of loneliness. How much, how much longer must I suffer with this sickness? How many, how many more hospital visits do I have to do? How long must I deal with the guilt, the unworthiness that I feel? How long must I feel discontent with my life before I achieve and get to a place of peace and satisfaction? But when we come to Daniel, there's this pattern. Yes, we'll experience the oppression while we live in Babylon. We'll experience that sorrow living in a world uh, like, like ours. And we'll feel the oppression, whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual. We will feel dis- discontent, unhappy, anxious, and insecure. We won't know what the future holds. And often, they'll look bleak. But we can hold on to the promise, can't we? God is in control. He's the king even over Babylon, over Persia, over Greece, over Rome, over the spirits in this world that try to lead us away from God. All the visions and the stories from Daniel's life are to point us to the main character. It's not Daniel. It's God, the Ancient of Days, Jesus, the Son of Man. It's the one who gives us a solid hope, the one who promises deliverance, the one who paves the way through to resurrection to give us eternal life, everlasting freedom, everlasting peace, everlasting security. The main character of Daniel is God. The promise we're meant to hold on to, even though we see the patterns of life and the sorrows that we have to endure, is that God is in control. And He promises us to give us uh, eternal life through faith in Him. Martin Luther, the great reformer uh, in the 1500s, he read Daniel and he said this in his commentary. He says, Daniel concludes the record of his terrifying visions and dreams on a note of joy, pointing us to the coming of Christ's eternal reign of glory. Whoever wants to study them profitably dare not focus his attention on the details of the visions and dreams, but seek comfort in the Savior Jesus Christ, whom they portray and in the deliverance he brings from sin and its misery. I've talked to a lot of Christians who want to tell me what these numbers mean, and they, they say it's really important, but I ask why is it important? Because the reality is, what's important is how we live today. We don't know when the end's going to come. And even if we did, why does it matter? The book of Daniel serves as a powerful reminder that God is on his throne and he is sure to get the victory. What is more, one day God will put the world to right, destroying unrighteousness, ushering in an eternal kingdom. And for us who live on this side of the cross of Jesus in 2021, we had the whole canon of Scripture in hand, the whole Bible. And when we come to look at the last book of the Bible, when we come to the book of Revelation, it's apocalyptic literature again, isn't it? I don't know if you've ever read it. But at the end, towards the end, in Revelation chapter 21, this is what we read. John's writing this. He has this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. No more anxiety, no more sorrow, no more loneliness, no more feeling inadequate, no more feeling unworthy, no more feeling like you're not good enough, no more feeling like we don't have enough time. We get to be in the presence of Jesus the King forever. Will you be there? Will your name be found in the book of life? I mean, it'll only be there when it's written by the blood of Jesus, his death and his resurrection that covers our sin. Will you put your faith in him? Will you trust him with your future, with your present? It's not too late. You're not too far gone. You can come back to God and surrender all before the feet of Jesus. The Christian faith isn't exclusive to middle-class good boys and good girls, people who have their lives together. That's not true at all. It's a faith for all people of all nations, but one where we're actively choosing to live for him in repentance and in obedience, believing he is the king who is worthy of worship. You see, what Daniel chapter 12 and really all of Daniel has reinforced is not the question of how much longer will I endure, but rather how will we endure? How will we live in light of eternity knowing God will be victorious? Daniel's example throughout the whole of uh, his book is to actually show us what it looks to, to stand firm, encourage, trusting God, the main character of the story. Knowing despite all the conflicts with kings and empires and the conflicts that exist in our very own hearts, God will vindicate his people. Sin will be no more. Tyrant kings will be no more. The evil in this world will come to an end. We can trust in that future hope, that heavenly reality. God has not abandoned his plan for the world. His people will be delivered. But in the meantime, while we wait for that future reality, while we live in this broken world, be a light. Be a shining star. Lead other people to know God. Live out your faithfulness, just like Daniel does, in consistency and courage, just as Jesus does as he goes to the cross trusting the Father. Prepare yourself, not just for this temporary world. Don't prepare yourself for tomorrow, for the next 60 or 70 years of your life. Prepare yourself for eternity. In patience, amidst a secular and hostile world, be prepared. It will be hard. It will be a spiritual tug of war for your heart. I know you have God. You have Jesus. Look to Jesus for your deliverance. Look to God for your preservation. And in doing so, persevere. Stand firm in faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the book of Daniel. And we thank you for all the things, the lessons you've taught us through it. Thank you that you've shown us how great and awesome you are as our God. You are the God, Lord, who delivers even though our world sometimes and our future looks bleak, even though we don't know what tomorrow brings, even though we struggle with our current uh, uh, um, struggles in, in our hearts and, and the things that, that, that feel like oppression in our world around us, whether it's physical or spiritual, I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to come to you in surrender, knowing you are a powerful God, knowing that we're not in control, knowing that you're the king who sits on the throne and... and, every, and, 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 and <laughs> And, and, we can, and we can trust you. We can trust that you have the victory and we've seen that at the cross already when sin was defeated. I pray, Lord, that as Christians in the room, Lord, that we will be able to um, not only surrender that to you, but live in light of that. Live for eternity, not just for tomorrow. That we'll prepare our lives in repentance and obedience knowing that we get to spend eternity worshipping the good and great God. 
for those in the room, Lord, who don't know you yet, I do pray that you'll uh, open hearts, that you'll speak to us and, and help us to see the goodness of who you are, that you're the God worthy of worship. You are the God in control, and you're the one that we can trust our, entrust our lives to. I do pray, Lord, for this in your Son's name. Amen.